the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much for tuning in to another heist episode. We love a good heist. Yeah. What do you think of those Ocean's Eleven movies, Ben? You know, heist films are divisive, but I love the formula. They are formulaic. They are. You know, and... uh, You're a big fan of the whole ensemble of a heist crew, aren't you, Ben? That's the thing you ask new friends. You're like, who would you want to be? And I always say the bag man, even though I don't really know what the bag man does. It just sounds like a cool title. Who would you be, Ben? Do you you even go so far as to cast yourself, or is this something you just ask of others? I'm Noel, by the way. You're Noel. My name is Ben Bullen, and I typically ask people just to keep... Partly it's a way to get to know people, but also it's a way to know in advance what someone feels their set of skills would be Mm. in case you're ever Mm. in this situation. I've, of course, asked our super producer, Casey Pegram, what his heist position would be. But you know what? Maybe we should ask just while we're here, since we're all film buffs. Casey, what do you think of heist films in general? I think it's great. Anytime you have like a solid genre grounding like that. And you can just fill it up with, like, interesting, cool, funny people or whatever, like the Oceans movies. Uh, I think it's a blast. So I'm, uh, I'm in favor of it. Casey on the case. I agree. It's nice to have the predetermined stakes set up. And then everything else is just sort of, like, built around that. Um, so everyone's got a job to do. There's sometimes disagreements. There's all kinds of bumps in the road that happen along the way. And then you've got the, are they going to pull it off or not, stakes in place. Today's episode is more about an individual, less about a crew. It is one of my personal favorite names in uh, historical uh, confidence men. Yeah, and there is a crew involved at some point. At some point. Yes. Today we are exploring the strange story of Colonel Thomas Blood and the Crown Jewels. Was this crew called the Blood Boys? Or the Blood Bags, mm. you know? Uh <laughs> I, you know, they had a couple of different names for crews he ran in because, as we will learn, uh, Thomas Blood's life involved uh, messing with a lot of strange, controversial, dare I say, disreputable groups at times. So what do we know about this Thomas Blood guy? Well, I'll tell you one thing we do know. Um, you know when people say, oh, the crown jewels of something? Oh, that's the crown jewels of cars or the crown jewels of, you know, gold uh, bars or uh, whatever? Of uh, vinyl hammer pants. Exactly. Well, how about stealing the actual crown jewels of the crown jewels? Uh, and that is what our boy uh, Colonel Blood had his sights set on. Um, we will get to that. That was kind of his uh, his coup de gras. But it took him a long time to get to that. He was born um, an Irishman in County Meath in 1618. His father was a blacksmith of some note, uh, and he, you know, 
it was it was a, a pretty I wouldn't say wealthy family, but a upper middle class, solidly upper upper middle sure. class family, like a, a merchant class. Yeah, and he was also well connected. He had a grandfather who lived in. Oh boy, the, the folks from Ireland, go ahead, shred us in advance. Kilnaboy Castle. Yeah, Kilnaboy, sure. But maybe it's entirely wrong. Who knows? I never know with these things. Kilnaboy Castle. He lived in a castle, his grandfather did, and was actually a member of parliament. And the English Civil War broke out in 1642. This is when Blood, who is not yet a colonel, just a story in and of itself, this is when Blood came to England and he wanted to fight for Charles I. But as soon as he figured out that Cromwell was going to win, he flipped. He switched sides. He joined the Roundheads uh, because he wanted to be, he wanted to be on the successful side of history. Plus, they had the better haircuts. They had the rounder heads. Yes. And in 1648, he married a Miss Holcroft in Lancashire, and shortly after that, he went back to Ireland. He had become an officer in the Cromwellian army. And instead of getting paid for his service in the army, he said, just give me grants of land and let me, you know, become a member of the landed gentry. People suspect today that he was involved in some sort of espionage during the Civil War. But, you know, that's still kind of a rumor. Anyhow, Charles I is defeated in 1653. Blood becomes a justice of the peace and he gets what he wanted. He gets that large estate. For a little while. Justice of the Peace being something of like a notary or a, 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 a junior, junior judge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so not exactly uh, a, a super high position, but still working his way up, right? Yeah, it's a good government job. You've got an estate. Things are looking pretty good for our pal Tommy Blood. I like that nickname. I'm going to use Tommy Blood for a while. It feels like a 1980s hair metal band Can nickname. we shorten it to T-Blood and make it sort of a early 2000s rap name? And then we would figure out what his... Mid-aughts? Mid-aughts, yeah, his 2010s name would be. Because that's when we get into the Lil no, era. Or of, the Young. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh-huh, yeah, that's true. Young blood. It's been done. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame. It's all been done, Ben. Uh, young Tommy. <laughs> little Tommy blood. Uh, anyway, so he's a justice of the peace. Things are looking up for uh, Tommy blood. Charles II returns to the throne in 1660, and... Our boy Blood loses all of his lands. He loses his estate. He flees to Ireland with his wife and son. Is this because he found himself on the wrong side of history yes. in, this, uh, in this case? Yes, very much exactly. so. Exactly. So in 1663, he developed a plot to kidnap uh, a man by the name of James Butler, a.k.a. the Duke of Ormond, um, who was Lord Lieutenant of Ireland and lived in a castle, uh, Dublin Castle to be precise. Casey, can we get just a, a, a little bit of your favorite light heist music? This is his first provable heist. Yep. So we have the espionage rumored, but uh, as we say, the Duke of Ormond is his first documented heist. Okay, so... Got our heist music playing. Here's what happened. He donned some sort of disguise. He gets his crew together, and they try to force their way into the castle in this disguise. But, of course, like every heist film, something goes wrong. Something goes awry. Um, they were found out. Somebody snitched. Somebody let the badgers out of the bag, as Ben would say. And um, everyone, except Blood, uh, likely because he turned tail and ran, um, w w were arrested. Uh, and... There were some really – I love that this, this reads like stock characters right. in a murder mystery. Two of the uh, the known disguises in question were the Quaker and the priest. Right, because as he is hightailing it and the rest of the gang, including his brother or brother-in-law, Lackey, uh, are getting arrested, Blood dresses wait, 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 as wait, wait, a Quaker. Wait, wait. That his he dresses... brother-in-law's name is Lackey? Uh-huh. Yeah, L-A-C-K-I-E. It was a different time. So <laughs> no, no, but but a lackey it's a little on the nose. Like, yeah, right. No, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> amazing. And his sister Minion was probably there as yeah, well. Exactly, and henchmen. Right. Uh, so he is running away. He dresses up first as a Quaker, and then he changes it and dresses as a priest while he's escaping to Holland. And he he hides out in Holland. Uh, I, I'm picturing something very similar to the film In Bruges. Right. They had to. It's a fantastic. Uh, crime movie where two kind of on-the-lam criminals end up hiding out in a very idyllic little town yeah. in Bruges. Yeah. In Belgium. 
Yeah. And actually, Casey and I almost, uh, I think we almost ran into each other in Brussels. Is that correct? We literally stayed around the corner from each other. Yeah. Like, not, not, you know, figuratively around the corner, like, actually on the map around the corner within a day or two of each other. I was there to see a Stereolab concert, mm -hmm. and uh, I was only there for like a, a couple nights, maybe just one night. And, uh, yeah, after I got back, I was like, where'd you stay? And looked it up on the map. And I was like, oh, my God, we were wow. literally next door to each other. So uh, that's our shout-out to Belgium. It's a lovely place. Do check it out. Check out the comic strip museum, but be ready for some problematic art. Anyhow, Colonel Blood's not there. He's in Holland because he has a price on his head in England. His brother that we mentioned, Lackey, was tried, convicted, and executed on the charge of high treason. Jeez. And what were they what were they after? They were forcing their way into this castle. They were just going to kidnap this guy for a ransom, presumably? Yeah, presumably for a ransom. And this is strange because we see that Blood, Thomas Blood, has a lot of different links. Remember how at the top of the show we said that he rolled with a couple of different crazy controversial groups, right? He was involved with a lot of groups that were hostile to the government even though he was also working at different times for the government. So he was almost like, like a secret anarchist trying to bring down the system from within. Yeah, or, yeah, he's like a double agent. His whole life is a series of decisions to go whichever way the wind leads him. You know what I mean? He's, he's very much self-centered. He's very much trying to get ahead. I don't think he has a lot of deep-seated uh, loyalty. He'll switch sides when needed. He's opportunistic. He eventually returns to England, even though there is a bounty on his head, and he gets a new name, uh, and he says that he's a doctor, and he begins practicing medicine. His new name is a real mouthful, Alof? Alof? Alof would be a good rap name. Yes, <laughs> it would. You got T-Blood and Alof. A-Y-L-O-F-F-E. How, how would you pronounce that? I think it's Alof, maybe? Alof? Yeah, what, what, what nationality do you think that is? After checking out a little bit of the etymology here, it's not certain. That is a very disappointing outcome, Ben. It is, but, you know, that helps him with his man of mystery bit that he's doing. Although I don't really want a mysterious doctor. If I go to a doctor, I want them to be pretty transparent. Absolutely. You want a good paper trail. Yeah, I, I like doctors with documents. Well, what happens next? What happens after he returns to England uh, purporting to be a doctor? He goes for the Duke of Ormond again. <laughs> Like he didn't learn his lesson. Like the guy can't. He's in, in, incorrigible. Ocean's Twelve, as, as, as a as a as a 1930s mother might say to a child. Um, exactly. Yeah, he he goes for the same heist a second time. The one that got his brother executed, or by some accounts, brother-in-law. Um, but yeah, that's it's, it's insane to me. This is in 1670. Uh, Colonel Blood comes back around. This time, he has a plan to hang. The Duke. This time it's personal. That that must be it. It's almost maybe for revenge. Uh, now that now that you, you think killed about my it. brother because he tried to kidnap you. Prepare you. to die. So he goes for him. He he actually goes gunning for him, most literally, with a pistol. And uh, he takes a shot at him, but he's he's pulled from the jaws of death at the last minute um, and escapes unscathed. This is another interesting little detail because we start getting some conflicting stories. Like, is he an assassin at this point? Is he in it for the money? Uh, there is an account uh, that says, that claims that he was actually acting on orders from George Villers, who was the second Duke of Buckingham. So it's possible that there was some Duke beefs going on here and that uh, our boy Colonel Blood was just kind of caught in the middle of it. I mean, obviously for some money, but the Duke of Ormond's son accused Villiers, uh, the second Duke of Buckingham, of employing Blood to uh, perpetrate this kidnapping and an attempt on his life. Uh, and that it's believed by some historians that Blood was also, as you conjectured, Ben, um, acting in a pure uh, revenge, um, that, that, that sweet, sweet dish that is best served cold, apparently, uh, and for the murder of his brother and the way his gang got completely screwed over. But again, you know, like he had it coming. He did it to himself. What is he like? 
blaming the guy for protecting himself, you know, when he's uh, he's literally attacking him and um, trying to to steal him away. Uh, it's a little, you know, it's that kind of thief mentality, you know, where it's like no honor among thieves and all that. Right. Or, you know, I should do whatever I want, but if other people have a problem with it, they're automatically jerks. We should point out we're getting a lot of this information from a great write-up uh, from the Clare County Library. So do support your local library. Please do. And then... They offer a final possibility, which is even more political, is that he was planning on holding the Duke um, hostage until he agreed to restore uh, the lands that were stripped from him when uh, King Charles II came into power. That's right. And all of these may, you know, the thing that's interesting about all these guesses is none of them are mutually exclusive. We said he was born in 1618. What uh, what interested me about this second heist, Casey, I hope the music was playing during the second heist, uh, is that during this time, he's 52 years old. It's 1670. He was born in 1618. And now we get to the real, the crown jewel of the story, which in this case is about the crown jewels. Uh, <laughs> because just like any good heist film, Tommy Blood says he's going to do one last job. One last job. I mean, it, you know, up to this point, it doesn't sound like he's had much success. Uh, well, maybe, you know, I admit maybe we are cherry picking a little bit of uh, his less successful things, but the Duke of Ormond keeps getting away. You know what I mean? That's his uh, roadrunner. He's, he's got a Wile E. Coyote thing going on with that guy. Yeah, and much like Wile E. Coyote, you know, the trick is when you step off the cliff, you don't look down. Right. I don't know how that applies here, but it's just something I always think is worth mentioning. It's a good metaphor for life. Yeah, yeah. That's why I mentioned it in the uh, Salvador Dali episode, which has not come out yet. You did indeed. <laughs> I did. Oh, we're jumping around through time. People will find out. Uh, yes, check out our <laughs> check out our two-part episode on Salvador Dali and Disney that's coming out. That's a doozy. We just plugged our own show in the middle of our show. Yeah, but it's a good two-parter for the holidays. It'll get yeah. you through. It's a fun one. It's a story that I knew nothing about. And uh, keep a lookout for it. It's got some multimedia aspects it does. that I think will be rewarding. Let's pause for a second because there is another crucial ingredient to any good heist. What's that, Ben? It's a good meal beforehand. Man. A healthy meal. <laughs> you gotta be well-fed uh, with fresh, healthy ingredients to give you the energy you need to pull off these kind of uh, elaborate crimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't do capers well on an empty stomach. You know what you need to do capers, Ben? Recipes involving capers. That's right. And whether you are a criminal mastermind or just someone who loves cooking, HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit, will give you seasonal, easy recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. It's true. You'll have everything you need to get a heist-worthy dinner on the table in just 30 minutes. Say goodbye to endless grocery store trips and takeout food. Who's got time for that when you're planning the heist of the century, stealing the crown jewels or whatever other high-level target you are after? HelloFresh has got you covered, my friends. That's right. They have 20-plus seasonal chef-curated recipes each week. Uh, and there's something for everyone. Family recipes, calorie smart, vegetarian. Their menu series like Hall of Fame and Kraft Burgers. You know, I am still, I gotta say, I mentioned this before, but I am still so impressed by that salsa and those poblano tacos. You know, I think I'm going to reorder those, actually. Yes, and something that I enjoy about HelloFresh that I can absolutely apply to that same uh, kiwi salsa that you're talking about is finding new ways of using ingredients that I might never have bought on my own. And then I just start to incorporate them into my, uh, my repertoire. Yes, HelloFresh is fantastic. We're speaking from firsthand experience, but you don't have to take our word for it. You can try HelloFresh today. Get nine free meals with HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com com slash ridiculous nine and using the code ridiculous nine. That's nine meals free with HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com slash ridiculous and then use the promo code ridiculous nine. That's the number nine, not spelled out. So here we are. One last job. Tommy Blood decides he's going to steal the crown jewels, which are stored in the Tower of London. Which, as we know, is like, you know, usually described as being impenetrable, mm -hmm. some version of that, you know, guarded to the teeth, all of that. What do they mean when they say to the teeth? 
You ever wonder about that? It means the teeth have guns. Really? Tiny yeah. guns. Yeah, guns were originally invented for teeth. Okay. That's straight seahorse teeth, man. Yep, that's with, also where with, that comes with from. tiny guns. Yeah, yeah, it's very, uh, it, it's etymology that is so true you shouldn't even bother checking. We need to bring back straight seahorse teeth. It never left. You're right. We've had people, uh, I've had people at least tell me that in real life now. People I know. No one's just come up to me on the street and said something with straight seahorse teeth. Does that happen to you? You do it on the internet sometimes. They do it on the internet on our uh, Facebook community page, Ridiculous Historians. Are we done with plugs? Are we going to finish yeah, this story? Yeah, I was going to say this. Take it. I was doing the story. <laughs> I know, man. I was I'm doing the story. I'm teasing. So it's April, May 1671, making Tommy Blood about 52, 53 years old. Here's the thing. Britain's original crown jewels had been melted down and sold back in 1649 during the rule of Cromwell. But with Charles II taking the reins of the country back, he had decided to get some replacements and he spared no expense. So they had a crown that had diamonds, tons of other gems on it. They had a golden orb and a gold scepter. And these would have been items that would have been used during ceremonies and mm -hmm. such placed yeah. on the 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 king's head, you know, and then put back in the tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we could probably do a story on that uh, in its own right because it always seemed weird to me, the choice of jewels. Who says, I need an orb? Is it like the sun? Is it meant to be like holding the sun? An orb is like the scepter, right? That's the thing that you no, hold? No, it's, it's literally, it's like a ball that has a little cross on it in some cases. Huh. Yeah. What's that for? You just hold it? Yeah, it's just for the look. Weird. Like Will Smith with cigars yeah. in that uh, Miami song. It's just for the look. I don't light it. He just bites it. Yeah. Gross. Uh, so these things are beautiful. And as you said, Noel, they're, they're only taken out during um, ceremonies of great import. Otherwise, they're stored in a basement in the Tower of London. And they have a guy whose entire job is just to watch these things. His name is Talbot Edwards. He had one job. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He is a, a, an older veteran, and he shows the jewels to tourists in exchange for a small fee. Now, I got to say, it doesn't sound like they had their best and brightest on the job. I, I mean, I'm not, not trying to be ageist here, but he is described in this History.com article as being essentially uh, a, a, a retired soldier who was allowed to supplement his wages by g giving tours of the jewels for a small fee. Um, and so he is, is, is a, he's the keeper of the jewels. I mean, I'm guessing there's other guards in place. Uh, but at the time, this was kind of a new thing. Um, Oliver Cromwell sold the old ones because he eschewed all of the glitter and trappings of this kind of exorbitant wealth. He was much more of an austere kind of monk-like monarch. He also thought that they stood for, quote, the detestable rule of kings, and he was not about that. So after Cromwell died and Charles II came into power, he spent 32,000 pounds on the new ones and they were made of solid gold they had hundreds of precious stones diamonds uh encrusted it was absolute bling before bling was even a thing um and then blood he kind of had a, a bit of a what's the word a code kind of like you know even his attacking of the of the duke of ormond seemed to have been rooted in some sort of ideology depending on which story you believe but he thought that the showing off of the crown jewels and the spending of that money was in poor taste and uh, he wanted to teach the king a lesson it wasn't so much about the cash so he claimed yeah it's not about the money it's about sending a message right mm -hmm. um, there's one extra piece of the story here that I, I think has a nice symmetry to it. Almost all of those jewelry pieces from the reign of King Charles I that were, you know, melted down in the Tower of London reemerged as currency. And these melted down jewels transformed into coins were used to pay the same army that had defeated the king. Here's Colonel Blood's log con regardless of what his ideology may have been or his rationalization may have been, we do know what his plan was. First, he makes friends. He pulls the, uh, you know, like I'm really tight with everybody else named Ben. He manages to befriend this guy, Thomas Edwards. This is also the man in charge of guarding the jewels. He's alternately known as Talbot Edwards or Thomas Edwards. 
So Edwards lives on the ground, but, you know, as we said, he's allowed to make a little money on the side charging people, but he's not specifically paid for his work. So he's a volunteer, which is not what you want for something this valuable. Anyway, Blood goes back to his normal M.O. He disguises himself <laughs> as uh, as a vicar, an Anglican clergyman, and he hires an actor to pose as his wife. So they go to the Tower of London. They pay Talbot Edwards to view the crown jewels. They're behind this metal grate in a room protected by this reinforced door. And then his quote-unquote, or as you would say, Noel, his wife uh, fakes a sudden illness. And so Edwards, being not a, a piece of garbage, says, oh, no, are you okay? Here, uh, come to my upstairs apartment, take in some air, you know, lay down, collect yourself. Yeah, it's, it's sad that he's kind of the patsy in this story because he seemed like a, a kindly old gent, you know, who was, again, just trying to supplement his uh, pensioner's income with uh, just giving tours, you know? I mean, uh, it's it's a shame that he he got taken in by this this ruse. So, as you said, in his good-natured kind-heartedness, um, he allowed the uh, supposedly ailing woman to, you know, rest in his apartment. By the way, he lived in that upstairs apartment with his entire family. And Blood thanked this uh, this kindly gentleman. And he doesn't steal anything. He doesn't steal anything yet. And then a couple of days later, he came back with a gift for uh, Talbot's wife. It was four pairs of white gloves. Then, uh, following that, several weeks later, the colonel created this entire kind of backstory. He really ingratiated himself into uh, a relationship, an actual friendship with Edwards and his family, and started visiting there frequently. Um, and, you know, ha at this point, you know, every time he would visit, he would take a look around and get a sense of the exits and entrances yeah, and yeah. all of the weaknesses and really, really earn the trust of this couple. It's and, really uh, some conniving stuff. And he says, he says, you know, Edwards, you and I were buddies. You know, you met my wife. I met your wife. I got you some gloves. Uh, we love hanging out. And I want to be honest with you. Your daughter's not married. And in our day and age, that's really weird. So uh, I have a nephew. Who's also a little weird. And also unmarried. So why, you know, why don't we help each other out a little bit and get these kids hitched up? Edward says, oh, what a fantastic idea. Yes, please bring the nephew over for a meeting as soon as you can, as soon as convenient. And Blood says, oh, yes, absolutely. And then he leaves and he uh, he starts looking for a nephew because the one thing about the story he was telling Edwards was that this nephew he described does not exist. No. So May 9th, 1671, it's about seven in the morning. Blood gets to the Tower of London. He's got his crew together. Here's Here are the members of his crew. His son, also named Thomas, who's going to pose as the nephew. And then Robert Perot, Richard Hollowell, and William Smith. Each of these three men, I think the son as well, had— They came um, strapped. Yeah, they were strapped. They had pistols and they had daggers. And then Blood was still dressed as a priest. This is so cool. Or a parson, rather. He hid a wooden mallet inside his robes. So he's kind of like, you remember how in Tombstone, Doc Holliday has the shotgun mm -hmm. under his trench coat? Sure. He's pulling that kind of move, which to me, just the image of this is fantastic. Wait, it's iconic. Was this mallet a weapon? He was going to bonk people with this mallet or was it like a tool for, for breaking and entering? Both. He hmm. just he he was a BA who needed a hammer. I gotcha. So all the while, Smith is waiting with a gang of horses uh, near the entrance to the tower, uh, the tower gates, um, and that is when Perot. Thomas, the son, and Blood, the, the the leaders, still posing as the parson, go and uh, meet with Talbot, um, of course, introducing his son as the nephew in question and Perot as a, as a family friend or, or something, and says, hey, I got a fun idea. While we're waiting for your daughter to come around, uh, why don't you give us a tour? You're the tour guy, right? Give us a tour. Give us a little peek at the old crown jewels. And he's like, I do keep the jewels. Oh, yes, yes, here, here. Follow me, please. And uh, he's unlocking the door. 
And as soon as the tumblers click, as soon as the door is unlocked, Blood and his cronies gag, gag Talbot Edwards. This guy's 77 years old, by the way. They throw a sack over his head. He doesn't take it laying down. He tries to fight back, and that's when Blood takes out his mallet and, as you said, bonks the crap out of him. So he's gagged, black bagged, and and Bonked. bonked. Yep. In the noggin. And uh, he is, so this makes him lose consciousness just for extra, uh, uh, just for some extra bells and whistles. Uh, Blood also stabs this old man in the gut. But as we'll come to find, Blood is very bad at killing people. So this guy is bleeding out and the robbers tear off the grate. Remember that metal grate we described earlier protecting the jewels. And then they start trying to uh, refashion this stuff to make it easier to take away with them. So the colonel uses his mallet and uh, slams on the imperial crown until he makes it like a flat plate. And then his son, who is not super intelligent, begins trying to saw the scepter in half because he can't fit it in the bag they brought. What a dumbass. Right. Well, I think like time and a place, you know, at that point you're at the level of the heist where you have to think of your time management. That's fair. But I love how this whole thing feels like a Quentin Tarantino film. Tarantino, if you're listening, just make this scene. You don't have to make the whole film. Yeah, well, everything just starts to hit the fan as it were, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, So Perot is not going to try to flatten stuff. He's not going to try to break the scepter. He takes that royal orb and he just – Stuffs it down his pants, which to me is, uh, it's just hilarious. Is that a royal orb in your pants or are you just happy to see me? Right. Uh, he was probably pretty happy at the time. Uh, but Hollowell, remember we hadn't mentioned Hollowell, Smith's outside. Hollowell has been serving as a lookout and he pops into the room and he says, Talbot Edwards' son has unexpectedly returned home. He's upstairs looking for his father. And so the thieves all try to get their stuff together and run away. But remember, we said Tommy Blood is bad at killing people. Right as they're running away, Talbot Edwards, 77-year-old Talbot Edwards, he wakes up, he slips off his gag, and he starts screaming, Murder! Treason! The crown is stolen! So it's like the alarm going off right as they're exiting the bank. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was absolutely uh, an absolute ship show. It's true. Uh, who who is it the shouting murder treason? Talbot Edwards. Talbot Edwards. So he's been he's been he, noggin slammed. He came back. He came back. He's been gut stabbed, noggin slammed and he's still sounding the old man wheezing alarm. The yeah, wheezing what, old man once alarm. he regains consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a shame uh, for for the crew. But obviously they had it coming because they, they didn't have to stab the old guy in the gut. No. They didn't even have to bash him in his nog. That was gratuitous. It really, really was. Especially, I mean, it's adding insult to injury because they really, he seemed like a kindly gentleman and they really just, he wormed his way into his good graces and then literally stabbed him, not even in the back, in the front. And uh, yeah, it's, it just makes me sad. So what happens next, Ben? They're 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 on the lamb. They're running, uh-huh. and the 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 bobbies are, are in hot pursuit. They wouldn't have been bobbies though. They would have been like palace guards or something. Some yeah. of them might have been named Bob or Robert. It's true. <laughs> Maybe there were several. Maybe they were bobbies. So Talbot Edwards' son, a guy named Wyve Edwards. That's the that's the soldier. And a military engineer from Sweden named Martin Beckman are running after Blood. Blood, Hollowell, Perot, Smith, and uh, Blood's son Thomas are making a dash to get to the tower gates. They drop the scepter as they're running. Things are going bad, and Blood, still dressed as a parson, by the way, I cannot overemphasize this. He turns around, he draws his pistol, and he fires at the people chasing them. He wounds one of the guards, and this distracts people long enough for him to make it to his horse until he gets snatched. He gets tackled uh, before he can climb into the saddle. So that engineer Beckman that we mentioned uh, just totally knocks him to the ground. And then in a matter of minutes, most of the other outlaws were rounded up and the crown jewels, which had been, you know, distorted and deformed, are recovered. And Colonel Blood finds himself dragged back inside the Tower of London in chains. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? 
How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. By the way, Talbot Edwards was promised a reward. The Crown said they were going to give him 200 pounds. Yeah. I mean, that was a, a gut stab. That's, that's also a very Tarantino-esque thing. It reminds me of Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, when, I was uh, thinking that, when yeah. When gets, uh, gets shot in the gut and spends the whole movie bleeding out in the back of a car. That's kind of what's going on here. But, you know, at least he sounded the alarm and Colonel Blood did get his comeuppance, more or less. But here's the thing. Blood knew that the king had a reputation for identifying with, uh, you know, uh, very bold acts of defiance in a weird way. Yeah. Like it's, you wouldn't think that about a king, but he was a fan of scoundrels and figured that he could uh, kind of weasel his way out of, of the noose um, as, as he'd, you know, been known to do in the past. Yeah, and there's this great line. It's very Tarantino-esque. His jailers are, you know, roughing him up. They're asking him questions. What are you doing with the jewels? We got you this time, Blood. Uh, what made you do this? What was your plan? What were you going to do? But Blood refuses to answer any questions. Instead, he says... He says that he refuses to speak with anyone but the king himself. Uh, and weirdly enough, uh, the king gives him that audience. <laughs> Because when he's saying that, you know, as, as we had just said, he knows that this could work, that the king would have this interest, and he lays it on thick, right? He becomes a real con artist, you know, and he says, I'm in awe of the, the majesty of the king, and and King Charles kind of digs it. Sort of appeals to his, uh, you know, inflated ego. Yeah. he's the one who spent all his cash, the king, on, on these uh, replacement crown jewels, and he was basically saying, oh, I had to have them because they were just so, you know, it was, uh, honestly, I did it, like, out of respect. <laughs> Right. Really right. flipping the script, man. What an interesting con, you know? But it's so weird because there's a uh, there's a penis joke in here. What? Did you catch that? No. So one of the things he says, he's talking to the king and he says, you know, I had once planned to shoot you with a musket while I spied you bathing in a river, but I lost my nerve. I was in awe of your majesty. <gasps> right? What? We have to be careful because it's a family show. Holy cow. But that's what he's saying. And so Charles is like, oh, you old so-and-so. Ah. And then Blood says, and also, you know, those crown jewels probably weren't worth uh, 100,000 pounds. I would say much less. 
And this blows my mind because you would think uh, when when Blood devalued these crown jewels by saying, I don't think they're worth 100,000 pound, 100, pounds, more like 6,000 pounds, you would think that would have done the opposite. Like, you know, he's trying to appeal to the king's ego and his inflated sense of, of self, you know, worth and, yeah. and all of that stuff. And he's the one who uh, sanctioned these crown jewels to be purchased for so much money. Um, but in fact, the king was amused by how audacious this rogue was in claiming, you know, that the the, the jewels are actually worth far, far less. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely bonkers and counterintuitive, and it makes no sense. There's another, there's another um, I, I would say, substrate of narrative here. So Charles II shocks everyone. He gives Tommy Blood a full pardon. He gives him land in Ireland worth 500 pounds a year, and people are still debating why he would do this a lot of the early accounts said, well, you know, that's how the king is. He just, he, he thought blood was a, a bloody good time. And he liked his, you know, he liked his stories. It was like, uh, he was into that version of TED Talks. And he said, good show, old boy. But we now think that because Thomas Blood, who was a self-appointed colonel, by the way, he, he just sort of started calling himself that. People think that because of Blood's history in espionage, he may have been working as uh, one of the chief operatives of Charles II's court. Remember we said that the Duke of Buckingham may have hired him to kidnap or attempt to murder some folks. Charles II may have been aware of this, and the Tower Heist might have been an inside job. Wait a minute. What? Right? Heist music, Casey. And so the Duke pulled some strings, possibly, on Blood's behalf. And some scholars will even argue that Charles II, because he was cash poor, because he was short on funds, that he was in on the scam and planned to take a cut of the loot. My question is, would there have been something akin to an insurance policy on something so valuable in those days? Or was that, is insurance in that way more of a modern uh, concept? You know, I, I am not aware of that. We could do a history of insurance. That would that be, would be either really fascinating or really boring. It would get fascinating because of the early days of insurance and then the wildest things were ever insured. But at this point, um, just guessing, I would say there wasn't. Yeah, I would think so too. But it's, uh, it's just something that popped into my head. But so instead of like getting a cut of the insurance money, he was literally going to get a cut of like the fenced loot. Yes. In, in theory here, in yeah. theory. So this is like... Why was he so cash poor? Because he was embroiled in different wars, and uh, restoring the throne was a uh, was a dangerous endeavor, and it wasn't a cheap one. That makes sense. And by the way, insurance didn't really start in the United States until 1735. And guess who was involved in it? Benjamin Franklin. You damn right. <laughs> right, go Ben's. So, uh, just for comparison, for anyone who lives in the U.S. This heist is like breaking into the Pentagon to steal something or, you know what, breaking into Fort Knox, if there's any gold in Fort Knox, and then getting caught and then going to meet the president and the president is the guy who put the job together and, and sort of, you know, does that Monty Burns steeple with their hands and says, you know what, let's just tell everybody that I think you're hilarious. Mm -hmm. Usually you'd go to prison. That'll fly. Yeah, usually you go to prison, but we're going to give you, uh, we're going to give you some land uh, out in the Caribbean uh, or, you know, out in um, eh, someplace on the coast, someplace nice. And then we'll give you 500 bucks a year. How's that sound? Is that real, Ben? What's that? The things that you just laid out. No, that's just, a, I'm just comparing okay. the situations. Nothing to see here, right? I yeah. mean- yeah, it really, I don't know, it's, 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 when it comes to conspiracies, as we know from the other show that we do stuff that I want you to know, they're often very difficult to prove, and the term conspiracy theory is often thrown about as sort of a, what is it called, Ben, like a self- uh, A thought-terminating thought cliche. cliche. Exactly, so the idea, when you refer to something in these terms, it belittles it to the point of rendering it kind of inert, that's the hope, um, but very often- Conspiracies are very real, and this one sure seems to hold some some sand if, if this is what happened. It makes absolutely no sense that the king would have gone so light on the guy who uh, <laughs> literally killed the old man in charge of guarding the crown jewels, tried to steal them, stuffed them down their pants, you know, absolutely.
absolutely defiled every aspect of of these precious uh, items, and then just claimed that he was charming, so he, he gave him all this stuff and let him go completely. And also, it's the king. So uh, people are going to be hard-pressed to go, you know, your majesty, this kind of stinks. You know, there's, there's something rotten in your reasoning. No one's going to say that. So it seems that Charles II found more value in Thomas Blood as a living political operative than he did as a prisoner or an executed criminal. So he probably let him go because he was uh, useful as a spy, an enforcer, an informant. However, he still was taking in side work, freelance espionage, and in 1679, things soured with his pal, the Duke of Buckingham, who was probably the guy who kept him out of jail, if not setting him up for these heists in the first place. Blood apparently says something bad about the Duke's character. And so the Duke says, give me 10,000 pounds to make that right because you, sir, besmirched my good name. And then Blood becomes ill in 1680. So the Duke never gets his, his 10 large. And Blood dies on August 24th, 1680, at the ripe old age of 62. There is one footnote for this, which is so crazy. He died deeply in debt. He did not die a wealthy man. He hadn't been in the best of health for a while. But the problem with being a double agent for your entire career is that eventually people don't trust you. Noel, how little did they trust this guy upon his death? Yeah, he was trusted about as little as a human person can possibly be trusted in that they, the authorities actually dug up his body to make sure that he was actually dead, uh, that he had not faked his own death to avoid going to debtor's prison. You know, yeah. um, he, he was that much of a shady character. Um, so he was, in fact, reburied in his headstone supposedly read, here lies the man who boldly hath run through more villainies than England ever knew. And there is a, a 1967 comedy satire called The Jokers that involves stealing the crown jewels. Um, I think there was an episode of Sherlock. That's what it was. Uh, Moriarty, where uh, where he he steals the crown jewels. The Benedict Cumberbriar Cumber patch. Yes, that one. And uh, the guy that plays Moriarty, I I, I love very much. I, really didn't, I didn't care for his Moriarty. I you didn't like him? As much. Uh, no. I just like that actor a lot. Yeah, he's a great great actor. He's in uh, actor. he's in Fleabag. He plays a priest in Fleabag, and he's also in a, that episode of Black Mirror. Um, I, I enjoyed his Moriarty, though, but that's fine. To each on Moriarty. Yeah. Is what Gro- I say. Growing up, uh, for some reason, I was taken with uh, with the John Goodman vehicle, Duke of Earl. Do you guys remember that one? It's uh, it's about John Goodman plays a guy who likes bowling or something, and then there's this huge mishap in the English royal family, and he becomes the king. Uh, and it's it's you know a fish out of water comedy. But that's that's what I always associate with royalty in England because I was just a sucker for that song and John Goodman, and John Goodman. If you're listening, uh, I, I think you I think you are a fantastic actor as well. I'd love to see you play Moriarty. I'd love to see someone play Thomas Blood. Like Casey Noel, does this not sound like a narrative that would be ripe for an action film? Yeah, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I'll tell you whose crown jewels were actually stolen, uh, and the perpetrators escaped on a speedboat, the crown jewels of Sweden, belonging to King Carl IX and Queen Christina. They also had a royal orb and were stolen last year um, in a pretty uh, incredible heist, um, almost like uh, the type you'd see in a James Bond movie, again, with complete with the high-speed speedboat chase, and I do believe that they have been recovered, but the British crown jewels have thus far not been attempted to be uh, lifted since this uh, daring escapade. Uh, Which I want to see as a height. Like, think no, about I agree it. Just for, as a producer, right? The Just we take the heist film formula that we were talking about in the beginning. We make it a period piece. Maybe we embellish a little bit, give Hallowell and Perot and Smith their own kind of specialties or something. Completely but agree. like a priest... Come on, man, with a mallet in the robes. I don't know if it's the coffee or what, but I think this is fantastic. As a matter of fact, I got to go work on this screenplay right now if it hasn't already happened. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. We hope that you enjoyed this installment 
of, uh, of ridiculous history on historical heist. Uh, thanks, as always, to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thanks to Gabe Luzier. Uh, thanks to Alex Williams, who composed this wonderful, wonderful music you hear at the beginning and end of the show. Thanks to Christopher Asiotis here in spirit. Jonathan Strickland here uh, as some sort of lingering ghoulish miasma. And uh, have we thanked super producer Casey Pegram? I think we have, but you know, let's thank him again because he's the best. And hey, I'm just seeing an ad come up for a new Grand Theft Auto DLC called Grand Theft Auto Online, the Diamond Casino Heist. We are not being paid, but it looks pretty cool if you're into heisty stuff. Uh, yeah, and also thanks to Gene Chandler, Duke of Earl. Oh, I got some weird news unrelated to anything, you guys. Hit me. I beat Skyrim. Like, not just the main quest. What? I've done everything. Dude. I, I know, you right? You have 100% completion? I Yeah, I got, like, the stones. You know, you have to collect those 24 stones. Yeah. I got, like, the weird mask. I get the whole thing. That's pretty cool, man. I don't know if I told you. I, I quit playing the game because my save was too old. And uh, the uh, I, I had advanced to a point where I was I had no business being because I had not leveled up enough. Oh, no. So I just gave it up. But it was a fun game. Maybe now enough time has passed that I can just start fresh because that is a really fun game. It is. It is. And I guess... Yes, you know, now that you say it, it's such a buggy game that I probably don't have 100% completion because, you know, Bethesda is, is notorious for that. But you're you're more of a Fallout guy, right? I am indeed. So let us know uh, the story of Thomas Blood and the Crown Jewels better as a video game, better as a uh, Ocean's Eleven-esque heist film. We'd like to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. We've got our community page, Ridiculous Historians. Of course, you can also find us as individuals. I am at Ben Bolin on Instagram. Stay tuned because I will be on some adventures soon. So check that out. You can find me exclusively on Instagram as at Brown. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. This episode of ridiculous history is brought to you by Avalon waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am. And, uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry. And that is my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways, rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.